Welcome to Hip Hop Movie Club, where three old heads put their old heads together to vibe on some of the most memorable or forgettable hip hop themed movies of all time. And here's HHMC with your HHMCs, Boogie, JB, uh, yeah. and Dino Wright. Season 5, Episode 4, Notorious. Written by Reggie Rock Blightwood and Chio Hodari Coker and directed by George Tillman Jr. Produced by Valletta Wallace, Wayne Barrow, Mark Pitts, and Trish Hoffman. Released in 2009 and featuring Jamal Woolard, Angela Bassett, Derek Luke, and Anthony Mackie. We'll answer the question, was Biggie ready to live or ready to die? Notorious is a 2009 biographical drama film about the Brooklyn-born hip-hop legend Christopher the Notorious B.I.G. Wallace, whose life was cut short at the height of his popularity. Biggie's mother, Valletta Wallace, served as a producer on the film alongside his former managers, Wayne Barrow and Mark Pitts. The film chronicles Biggie's life from his single-parent upbringing in Bedford-Stuyvesant, his drug-dealing lifestyle, his beginnings in the hip-hop industry, through his arrest and release from prison, and his relationships with Sean Puffy Combs, Tupac Shakur, Lil' Kim, and Faith Evans, as well as his involvement in the East Coast-West Coast hip-hop feud and his untimely assassination. A lot to unpack here with this semi-autobiographical film. Boogie, what are your initial thoughts about the portrayal of Biggie here? This is a a pretty raw portrayal of him. I do think that the the film is very entertaining in the fact that there's a lot going on and there's a lot to take in. So your eyes are like really fixed on what's going on and just kind of seeing how um, this film portrays Big and, and and if it lives up to the legend that, you know, most people associate with Big and, and the pedestal that he's been placed upon in the hip-hop community. I think one of the, the best things about this movie definitely is the casting because when you're looking at who's playing who, they definitely have a resemblance to the, the people that they portray. So it's easy to figure out um, who is who. And I think that Jamal Willard's portrayal of Big was pretty spot on. I mean, he didn't look like him exactly in the face, um, but he had the mannerism down, the the way that Big carried himself. Angela Bassett playing Valletta Wallace, you know, Big's mom, she's a gem. It's always good to see her on film. And I think she was very very um well portrayed in that movie as well um but like i said i mean this is it's it's raw it's it's going to give you some of what you know about big some of what you might not know about him there's going to be a lot of things that you like about you know his portrayal in the film and there's also going to be a lot of things you don't like but but for um his purposes i think it was very entertaining and i definitely i mean if you're a fan if you have any curiosity about um, Big's life. This is definitely something that you might want to check out, and you know you can draw your own conclusions from there. But I, I definitely recommend it. Yeah, Boogie, I like your take on it. I had a very similar notes. Jamal Willard was very believable as Biggie. Um, he had that swagger, the same type of size, his demeanor. Angela Bassett was awesome as always. She played his mother. She was very stern. 
you get to see the East Coast versus West Coast battle as it came to a crescendo. Even the the montage with the fans of each side from people in Cali out here in the East versus East Coast. The music was great, obviously. We'll get to that a little bit later. It was very, as you said, entertaining. You, you got to see kind of behind the scenes. And if you're a younger generation listener, because, you know, this was the mid-90s when uh, his life was cut short, you may not know much other than that he was larger than life in many ways and, you know, his legacy on hip-hop. So this is kind of soup to nuts. This was Biggie from where he started to you know, where the tragic end came. Donna Wright, you have any uh, initial comments? Yeah, I really enjoyed this. And I remember the night he got shot. And it was like the next day, it was like the next morning as we found out. I'm like, wait a minute, like, first Tupac and now Biggie? Like, it was such a, such a sad, next day was so sad. Like, oh man, no Biggie. Because he was so really big as a rapper and a, as a hip hop force. So it was, it was good to, to go back through like the story. Cause it's been a while. I didn't realize this movie came out in 2009. I thought, I felt like it just, it just come out, but it's been out for like 12 years or something, 13 years. And the performances were great. I, Angela Bassett's like timeless. I was like, wait, is that Angela Bassett? Like, and you know, this is 13 years ago, but, like I think she looks like that now. Yeah, she she's ageless. She's, <laughs> she's ageless. And terrific in every yeah movie, yeah. show, performance. She's always spot yeah. on. And yeah, you know, I think this is the second or third movie we've had her in. And uh, man, it's uh, it's a treat to have a, a, an actress like that in this. And you know, these biopics can go can go sideways. And at least the first half on his come up like it was really tight and there was no like scenes that didn't really belong or kind of filler it was very tight and i was very entertained it, it sort of lost steam as once he got once he got really prominent and stuff but the movie itself uh i, I really enjoyed it and the runtime was like two hours and two minutes it didn't feel like that at all like it really moved really quickly so yeah thumbs up from me it definitely moves very quickly and like, like you did, like you said, Donna Wright, it, there's a lot of there's a lot going on, but there's not much fat to trim off. It's it's all every scene someone has a has a purpose to it, and you kind of get a little something out of out of it every scene. I, I did feel that as well. Entertained. I learned a lot from it. I obviously knew on the periphery what had happened. There was a feud. I knew when Tupac was. A, shot the first time and you see all the things that lead up i didn't realize that tupac and biggie were kind of close you know they were hung out quite a bit they kind of compared notes on they were both on a meteoric rise to the top of hip-hop and then everything changed in that um quad recording studio which we'll get to one thing you know and we'll talk about issues i didn't think the character that played Puff Daddy, I don't, in terms of appearance, yes, um, he he looked similar, but I don't think he was, there. this is Derek Luke, and maybe it's the writing or anything, but he didn't come off quite as charismatic as Puff Daddy. Puff Daddy was super larger than life, very colorful figure. And for me, for my purposes, I don't know, I, he didn't quite c come off quite like that. I don't know, what do you guys think? 
Yeah, I think, I mean, I've watched, you know, some of those making the band shows and anytime you see Puffy as a judge or anything like that, he's very, um, he's a workhorse. So I think the portrayal from the behind the scenes aspect and how Puffy's always about, you know, let's work, let's work, let's work, let's get it, let's get it, let's get it. I think that was pretty accurate. I, I do see what you're saying though about because he's he's yeah he's he dances like he's all over the place and he's like he seems like he's very party centric but from watching a lot of those you know making the band things when he's you know grilling them about you know hey listen studio time costs money this costs money I'll put money out this is you got to work work I need you in the studio I need you record I need I was just like wow yeah so in that aspect I think that it was pretty accurate though. Yeah, so I think the the mentorship that he provided was portrayed well in the film. Biggie was just 19 when he met Sean Combs. And Puffy said, wait a second, you, you can't be dealing on the street still because, you know, Biggie came up dealing drugs, selling crack and making a lot of money. But he's like, all right, you're, you said he's got to get you got to get serious here. And then Puffy gets fired by Andre Harrell. Um, mm-hmm. Biggie sticks with him. And then Puffy also said, listen, my dad died on the streets when I was two. So, you know, this is not the lifestyle you want to continue on. And if you want to sign a record deal, you know, you can't, I can't, we can't be getting a deal and then you get in trouble and then it blows all up. So yeah, he definitely was a great mentor. He brought him along. And I think Biggie did realize that, but he said, this is kind of a smaller gripe. I just thought, you know, knowing what I know about Biggie, how he came up, you know, he was a mentor to Mace and so many others. And like, and he brought brought him up. Like there were some parts where he's kind of just like in the background. I was like, wait, is that, is that puffy or not? You know, so. I need to read more about like the actual story and, you know, because he's an executive producer of the film. So, and I kind of forgot that I was, I was watching the movie and I thought that his, the portrayal of, of puffy was rather sympathetic and then I was like, wait a minute, he's a producer of this film. So, of course, it's going to be sympathetic. And so I, I'm curious to see what where the truth and the the portrayal overlap. Um, mm-hmm. It just reminds me of, I know, I know Boogie knows about this. And I probably shared it with you too, JB. But this might have been like 15 years ago or something, maybe 10 years ago, when Maranzio Vance, the comedian, had these two videos that went viral about Puffy being poisoned. <laughs> Remember those? <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> i'll put them in the show notes but yeah uh i have no reason to believe that he wasn't a good mentor to biggie and i mean he made biggie a star like who was exactly. doing that yeah. and so but <laughs> always dancing in the background of the videos <laughs> yeah ever do, do, do the puffy like, <laughs> Yeah, he definitely gave Shug ammo with the yeah. dancing. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's like bullet took it around with it too. Yeah, I remember Puffy being lampooned a few times like that in other places because he's always in the videos dancing, no matter who, which artist it was. But um, yeah, you get to see the the hard scrabble uh, upbringing with Biggie. He's, you know, he's bigger in size. He gets picked on. You see that, and it's his son. It's his real life son, CJ, that plays him mm-hmm. when he was younger, which is neat to see. But he quickly gets 
into the drug dealing business with his friend D-Rock from the time he was like age 11 or so, which is wild. And he's making money hand over fist. He's hiding it from his mother. Now his mother, Zoletta, was really stern. And then there was that one scene that he was like by the side of the bed, kind of hiding the, the drug paraphernalia and the drugs. And at one point, his mother finds it under the bed and thought it was mashed potatoes. Oh, the, mas- the nasty <laughs> mashed potatoes. That's when he's found out. And she gets <laughs> angry and slaps him and kicks him out. He was tough. Biggie sold crack to that pregnant woman early on, too. Yeah. Yeah. So he was really a little bit nefarious, you know, just like really sticking to the streets and doing what he needed to do. Yeah. <laughs> this kind of bugs me a little bit is that after seeing the film, like, my opinion of, of Biggie is wor- is worsened because he was abused, you know, he was abusive to women. He put his hands on both Lil' Kim and Faith at some point, you know, selling the crack to the pregnant woman, very, you know, moody and stuff like that. He was going through a lot, a lot of things. Now there's, you know, the backstory that we see is why, why he is like that. But I'm like, it doesn't paint a very good image of, of him as a, as a human being. I agree. They didn't really pull any punches about his flaws, which is refreshing in a biopic. Um, it wasn't completely sanitized. I guess for the story's sake, it's it served the story to, to show him flying off the handle and stuff, but also his infidelity. Yeah, yeah I felt bad for his ex-girlfriend, Jan, who was pregnant at a young age by Biggie. They had you know his first daughter, and he kind of just discarded her. There were a couple scenes where she came around it seems like he left her almost right away and then he hooked up with Lil' Kim, was intimate with her. And then shortly after that, he, you know, Faith Evans was there for a photo shoot. Well, maybe a little bit down the road and Lil' Kim was quite jealous. And the, all the while he paid very little mind to his daughter. So there was a scene where, where Jan would had come to his place and Faith was there and she said, tell him that he wasn't home, but tell him that he needs to come see his daughter once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that was tough to watch, especially since you know he and Juicy he kind of he mentions his daughter. You know, you know, I was, you know, shout out to you know it was the police that you know rescued when I was outside, you know, hustling so I could provide for my daughter. But here, you know, we see you actually, you know, were you providing for your daughter? Yeah, you might have been providing, but you weren't spending any quality time with your daughter. And that's that's one of the most important parts of being a parent is not making sure that everything's taken care of financially, but being there emotionally and just being present for them as well, you know, but, you know, you do, you do get to see that um, after his, his car accident, he was a little bit enlightened. Um, D-Rock came by and visited him and was, you know, he, he had an enlightening moment and he, he started to try to reconcile his, um, you know, not being there for the daughter and, and wanting to spend time with TT and, you know, that that was refreshing that they did show that aspect as well, that he kind of realized that, hey, you know, I've been messing up. You know, I, I didn't have my dad around, so I don't want to make the same mistakes that was made on with me. You know, so that was that was good to see. And he was actually thinking about having the kids, you know, come out and stay with him. I forgot what the length of time he was saying, but he did mention that he wanted to come out and visit and stay with him from time to time. which was good. Cool to see as well. Yeah, yeah, I had those in my notes as, as well. He does become enlightened. D-Rock it was his friend that started him in the drug dealing business, but and he actually took the blame. They were both arrested for gun possession. They were running away from the cops when they were kind of caught dealing. And the detective, I guess, or the police, one of you guys have got to take the, the fall. 
And they were going back and forth and D-Rock did him a solid and said, I'll take it because you have a budding music career. You know, you got a lot of talent. So Biggie and him were, were you know, he, he owed him. Biggie owed D-Rock for quite a while. It looked like he hadn't seen him in quite a while because D-Rock was imprisoned, obviously. And then while Biggie's recovering from that accident, when Cease was driving, uh, D-Rock comes in. He, he kind of like had an epiphany while in prison. And saying, you know, making it is not only making it on stage. And he actually asked about his daughter, Titi, how is she? And he kind of had to think for a second. Yeah. And that, and then you saw he did have a lot of reflections. It kind of, he was replaying almost his whole life. And the message was pretty much, you know, you got to be a better father. But even with that, you know, there's a scene where now he's with the daughter. You know, and he's kind of, he has the cane and he's kind of recovering. He's playing with the daughter. But then Lil' Kim calls him and like right there, he's just blurts. He's like. F you, Kim, because they got an argument, right, with the daughter there. And I'm like, oh, man. And then, like, he kind of goes back a little bit to being very arrogant and conceited. Like, the next album is actually a lot more introspective. And that yeah. was released after his death. Um, so there was a lot more introspection on that next album. But he still was, I mean, there's a comment. He was like, I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest when he was recording. So yeah still kind of a big head yeah i think because i know when he was when he went back to puff and was saying that he was ready to record but you know he's like i can't rap about the same things anymore you know i'm not out there hustling anymore i kind of i kind of have the money and you know i have to talk about something different and yeah you definitely that that definitely you said it's 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 the subject matter is, is much different yeah i do like as he does actually I guess, become a man, so to speak, in the fact that he is now spending more time with his daughter towards the end of his life, unfortunately. I do love the scene where he's speaking to his mother and, and says, I'm proud of you, mom. She was taken aback. And she's like, what do you mean? He's like, well, you battle cancer because it's revealed that she was battling breast cancer earlier on in the film. And you got your master's, you know, all while living, you know, single mother. He got that 23rd Psalm tattoo when he went out to L.A. to promote that new album. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of there was some foreshadowing there because his mother, Valetta, was like, I don't like you going out there to L.A. because at that point, the feud had been heating up. Yeah, it was it was boiling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why don't we get into that? The feud, if folks didn't know, and it's portrayed pretty well, I think, in the movie. There's a defining mark in the film where Biggie's is the narrator pretty much in his own film. You know, it's, it's in his, it's a first person narrator. And he says that night at quad studios changed everything. So shortly before this, Biggie and Tupac were tight. They, they were seeing them playing billiards when Biggie and Puffy went to Howard university, one of their first shows to, you know, he was there at the after party, hanging out with them. They were, you know, he was back on the East coast here and there to, uh, to chill with him. And then that, that night at the Quad Studios, Tupac was Tupac was invited over. I think he was going to be maybe possibly recording or you know a special appearance on a on a track or something. As he's about to come up the elevator, they hear shots ringing out, and he's attacked. A crew shoots him. He got shot in the in the face or the head, and it's really unknown. It's a mystery today as, as who really shot him. Um, and he thought right away he was set up. So obviously he's coming over to see Biggie and he's attacked and almost killed right there. This was November of 94, I believe. Biggie was upset. He wanted to, he said he wanted to see Tupac in the hospital, but they didn't let him. I don't know if that was his crew saying, you know, we don't want you or anything like that. But the timing was such that Tupac had been 
arraigned on charges and convicted of sex abuse. And he was jailed shortly after. So he ended up going to jail shortly after he was assaulted there. But once in jail, you know, it, that just continued to, to marinate and, boil, and make his blood boil. As thinking he was he was almost assassinated right there. And he thought that Biggie and, and Puffy had something to do with it. Yeah. Because, yeah, you know, when the, whole, when the whole thing went down, Big and them were, everybody was there. You know, Big was there. Dream Mafia was there. And then you know, Pac arrived and and was on his way to the like I said to the elevator and got ambushed, robbed and shot. And because of where it happened, and Pac not thinking clearly, I mean, it did kind of seem funny to him. But I think it could have probably been resolved had they spoken. But at the same time, Pac was so angry that. It might not have worked out. There's that chance that it could have gone either way. But yeah, I think you said that time in jail from from the sexual assault charges let it marinate a, a little bit, and then you know, should Knight bailed him out, <laughs> so he's got some you know bit of loyalty to Suge as well for bailing him out. Just kind of goes downhill from there because Suge, like I said, he held no no punches when it comes to. Um, his feelings about Puffy and Bad Boy and how that or that whole record label was run, and um, goes to um, insinuate that nobody from Bad Boy really wants Puffy in the videos anyway, and that anybody that, that wants to have a record deal and doesn't want to, you know, have the producer singing and on the tracks or dancing in the videos. And everybody knew exactly who he was talking about. He didn't even have to say a name. It was very obvious. And that just kind of kicked off the feud in a public setting because, you know, Pac already is is on edge and already thinks that he was set up. And now we have the head of the record label taking shots at the head of the other record label. So now it's all out in the open. And and uh, that was the 1995 Source Award. So we have yes. to put that into the show notes, the link. Yeah. To that. that was a seminal moment in yeah. hip hop history where yeah. that East Coast, West Coast feud I had a temperature got ratcheted up way high because Suge Knight's comments about you don't want your executive producer dancing all your videos come to death row records. And the way he said that in the movie, in the movie, in the film, notorious, you know, they show Puffy and Biggs uh, kind of behind backstage listening to that. And they, they felt that as a personal affront, which, it, which it was. Now Biggie did nothing to cool the temperature at all, you know, releasing, the song who shot you just a couple months after that assault. Right. Right. If you listen to who shot you, Biggie was saying, well, that was actually created before the incident where, where Tupac was ambushed in New York. However, obviously that's, that's going to stir things up. I mean, if, if you really wanted to cool the temperature down, maybe you, you don't release that track. Right, right. Maybe you try to have a, have him on a feature with on, on one of your songs or something, or you know try to release something that you two of you were you know joking around in the studio together with or something. <laughs> you don't put out a song called "Who Shot You." Who shot you, and you're, yeah, right. You're sympathetic about your boy getting shot, <laughs> like and he's yeah, that's not a really sympathetic song, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know? Now he claimed in some interviews that it was about 
a drug dealer gone bad or something like that. He's not going to ever say that it was about the incident with Tupac, obviously. So we don't really know the origins of the song. And the timing of the release was, you know, not optimal, uh, to say the least. Poor doused it with gasoline. With not that. if you're trying to squash any beefs or anything. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and um, he also stirred the drink further. There was a, that concert in Sacramento that they were performing. So they're out in the West Coast or quote unquote enemy territory while this feud is brewing. And there's a lot of booing. There's some scuffles in the crowd. People had some Tupac signs and Thug Life signs, which was a trademark kind of of Tupac. And so the crowd's getting a little restless and rowdy and they're not really taking to Biggie and Puffy on the stage. And he insisted, all right, guys, let's please tell us a DJ. Let's, let's play this. Let's play that. And Puffy was like, no, no, we don't want to do this. We don't want to incite anything. But he had them play Who Shot You? And he sings it there. And again, that's kind of continued to stir things up. Yeah. Sometimes you got to let your ego go a little bit. That wasn't wise at all. It wasn't wise. It kind of reminded me, you know, we talked about um, straight out of Compton. Like, remember, they're told, don't play F the police <laughs> yeah. playing this, right? It's like you, either ego just overrides any logical thought process. But in that incident, you know, he's lucky he even made it off that stage right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that could have easily, that could have gone south quick. Yep. Now, what even further <laughs> kind of uh, ratcheted things up is and then Tupac, he released from prison and he comes out with the Hit Em Up diss track, which was one of the nastiest diss tracks, oh, man. literally threatening Biggie and Puffy, claiming he slept with uh, Faith Evans. There was a scene where there was a magazine cover with Tupac and Faith that Cease discovered. That enraged Biggie, obviously. It was unknown if Faith and Tupac were ever truly intimate. She claimed she wasn't. They just had a photo shoot. There's rumors either way. And then I think years down the road, she said she was with him, but not in a sexual manner. So we don't really know for sure. But there was some linkage with Faith Evans, who was, I guess, estranged from Biggie at the time because of his anger management issues. When Biggie found out, about these rumors, you know, he went and confronted Faith. He ended up kind of pushing her and flipping tables and really starting to unravel. Yeah, so she was right in the middle of a, a you know professional interview when it happened. That's Just right. Completely disrupted her interview. But also traces back, Biggie had a history of these, these confrontations. So Lil' Kim, who he was intimate with prior to meeting Faith, was mad jealous of Faith when they got married because he had known Faith for just like literally three weeks, he said. They got married. Mm -hmm. Kind of just pushed Lil' Kim off to the side. Biggie pushed her in one scene in the studio too because she kept saying, where do I stand? Where do I stand? What's this all about? There was even a, a scene where she was performing, I think maybe with the Junior Mafia. and mm -hmm. She was spitting some lyrics kind of uh, at, at Biggie. It was really awkward between them. Kind of a bizarre like little triangle. Yeah, that that tension was definitely apparent. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, and then the scene too, speaking of kind of love triangle and lack of trust and whatnot, and Biggie is just addicted to the females in that lifestyle. That part where uh, Faith was talking to Biggie, they had been married for not all that long, talking to him on the phone. He was in a concert, I think it may have been in Philly. Biggie was talking to her saying, hey, listen, um, Mark is going to, he met a girl, they're going to use my room for the night. <laughs> kind of sounds a little fishy. <laughs> so don't call me tonight. All right. So she knows something's up. She's not dumb. She's like, ah, okay, that just sounds weird. Oh, I, I, I am crazy, something like that. All right. So she goes out there to the hotel room, knocks on the door, pretending to be housekeeping. And they're like, what? No, I can't hear you. Can't hear you. Housekeeping, you know, whatever. This this girl opens the door and Faith busts in and, and, and kind of pushes Biggie aside and just really beats upon that girl that he's with. So there's a lot of infidelity, a lot of jealousy, a lot of yeah. craziness. Yeah. Yeah, that whole story just sounded really crazy. When he said, I was like, what? He's used your room. Where are you going to be at? <laughs> yeah. yeah, he shouldn't have said anything, but regardless, he was quite a ladies' man, um, but not faithful whatsoever. He did apologize to Faith after that. She did, she did take him back. But then uh, when he does that blow up later, what, that one we just referenced before, the blow up, she's, she doesn't want to hear it anymore. He's like, she's like, all right, that was, that's it. That's it. You can't, you can't put your hands on me like that, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, so, so after that 95 Source Awards, and actually even before that, at that Quad Studios when Tupac assaulted, the media starts inquiring if Biggie was implicated in that. And, and you can see that kind of getting on him and, and Puffy. Were you guys involved with this? Involved with this? You know, what do you think of this East Coast, West Coast feud? And it's kind of escalated. But there was a scene kind of biggie. Like I said, I call it his unraveling because he's having that issues where he's pushing faith. It's revealed shortly after she's pregnant. Mm -hmm. uh, Biggie's receiving threatening phone calls at that time. And there's a scene. This all kind of happens in the span of five minutes. This is all revealed. He's flipping out at the one awards show. It may have been maybe the soul trainer boards i'm not sure but about the shoe size you know they got in the wrong shoes and he just flipped yeah. out he was almost like refusing to go on stage yeah he was becoming really um unreasonable and erratic with some of his his requests and his behavior they were making excuses for him you know oh he's dealing with a, a lot of things you know and then he went and borrowed somebody else's shoes that had the same size you know, they, you know they're not as pretty as the shoes that you would wear but they're gonna have to do <laughs> Yeah, then we do see Puffy's kind of mentorship again. Saying, listen, don't blow this, you know, because he was getting violent and belligerent. And he's like, don't blow this. You you, you just, I think he had like $5 million. You got a $5 million contract or something like that. And I just signed for $42 million with Clive. Like, you don't want to, you don't want to ruin this. You got something good here. You know, you got to, you got to chill out. They do end up going out. And this is where the, the real danger sets in. I know C saw it on the news. They found out that Tupac was killed in the drive-by shooting in Vegas. Yeah. They saw the news. Biggie was shocked. There were countrywide vigils and murals when they found out, you know, Tupac was was killed. So that was an awakening. Like, man, that, that's crazy. And now that's going to continue to amp up the East Coast, West Coast feud because they're going to be implicated because of all the history they have here. But 
they're going to release the next album and they're going to go out to the West Coast to promote it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's an ominous thing, as we know. Yeah, flying into the lion's den right there. Yep. The eye of the storm. Yeah, and they're being watched. You can see uh, folks are lurking. It's almost like they're in the crosshairs. As I mentioned before, maybe Valletta was like, I don't like you going out there. He did get that 23rd Psalm tattoo. That was the, I think that Psalm that he and his mom had read when they were in prison. They were praying together. He had that mm -hmm. on his arm when he was out there while he was doing that. He, they were being watched. Cease was getting a phone call, a threatening phone call, saying this big man's not going to make it out alive. So they literally said there's a hit on him. In fact, Biggie was saying, you know, they were going to go to a party. Was, I think Vibe Magazine was hosting a party after the Soul Train Awards. And Biggie's like, I'm not going to go out. I'm too tired. But then he changes his mind because F it, you know, we're in LA, we're going out. So they're in this club. They're feeling really good, actually, because they're playing their songs and people are people are jamming to it. It was hypnotized. I'm not sure. But they were playing some some Biggie songs and he was feeling feeling great and everything. The fire marshal comes in, shuts down the club. There's too many people in there. I guess it was hazardous. You know, he's getting in the car and then a lot of chaos going on, traffic and whatnot. And Biggie, you know, somebody pulls up, drive by and, and, and unfortunately, you know, assassinates Biggie. <laughs> That was crazy because it's like, all right, you know, when, when Tupac was was murdered, we're like, oh wow, this this whole this whole beef thing is real. There's always beef in hip hop, you know. People diss one another back and forth. All right, you know, it happens. But when Tupac got killed, it was like, wow, like this is this is it got real, like like the whole like. And he was upped, and like it's like, wait a minute now, this is not supposed to happen. But then find out, you know, that Biggie was murdered. It's like, wow, it was almost, it was so surreal, almost unheard of. It's like, wow, both of them gone, really? Yeah, so unnecessary. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, beefing is fine, and and this tracks are fine, but you're not supposed to be killing each other about this. Yeah. <laughs> Oof. Especially since they were cool too, they were like yeah. they were cool. Yeah. <laughs> so we forgot to mention there. I mean, there was that scene. Tupac and Suge Knight rolled up at Biggie and Puff, and you know Tupac was in his military gear. This was shortly after he was released, and they rolled up on them and threatening them pretty much. You set me up. You set me up. They were angry about that assault at the Quad Studios in New York. And this I think this was I think that threat happened maybe on the west coast as well like by, by one of those kind of a, a different award show so they were on heightened alert and again they said they went he went into the lion's den <laughs> apparently they said biggie you know said he wanted faith and his son out there he had his son with faith he wanted jan and his daughter to come out i think they want to come out to la and i think faith even said that biggie was supposed to go to london i think so i don't know if it's one of those things like if something would have happened, maybe he wouldn't have been there. I'm not sure. There was an opportunity where he could have been in London or something like that instead, or maybe he would have left earlier. Who knows? Yeah. But there's a huge outpouring of love in Brooklyn after Biggie dies and the body comes back and there's a funeral procession and 
man, it's like for miles and miles and miles, people hanging out their windows with signs. We love you. We love you big. And I like the nice touch at the end of the movie where Valletta actually narrates the ending. So, you know, that's my son and yeah. they're calling out his name and he made a difference. You know, I can still hear his voice when I hear his music. It lives on. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so in terms of the acting, they did a good job. And this is funny. It's the second Anthony Mackie <laughs> appearance we see. Yeah. Anthony Mackie plays Tupac. He does a pretty good job. From Papa Doc to Tupac. That's right. <laughs> Papa Doc to Tupac. It's got bars. I got bars. <laughs> Call him if you need an Avenger or a rapper. Seriously, <laughs> what a career, right? Anthony Mackie. Falcon. Yeah. New Captain America. Yeah. Yeah, I had some, some local celebs from, from my area were both in this movie. Anthony Smith played Faith Evans. She's from maybe about 10 minutes from where I'm, I'm at right now. She's from East Orange. And uh, uh, also Notori Norton, who plays Little Kim. Uh, also, from, also from East Orange. How about that? Yeah, I know, that. People, I know people that know both of them. <laughs> like, personally know both of them. Yeah, locals. Yeah. Get them on the podcast. Get them on. <laughs> <laughs> I could probably, I could probably get Anthony if I can. I know people that, that definitely know her. Oh, that'd be cool. And Notori, but definitely Anthony. She's she's accessible. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> she was very good at Faith Evans. Yeah, yeah. The acting was was good. The cat, like you said, the casting was great. And she's also a singer as well too. I have a I have a couple of her songs on my laptop. <laughs> And Jamal Willard is a, is a rapper too. I, I didn't know that. Yeah. And the Tory was a singer. I don't know if she put any music out lately, but she started off with 3LW. Then she had a solo career as well. Ah, okay. Yep. All right. So I had a philosophical question. Did Do you think this film helps or hurts Biggie's legacy? And why? What do you guys think? Hmm. I guess I can kick it off. I mean, I think it shows you how big he was in terms of his reach and his popularity, his swagger. He he ruled the world in terms of hip hop. And he has so many fans and followers and he could do anything he wanted. But I think like I think it I think there's more of a negative side to it though. Like I think it kind of hurts his legacy because our society is a lot more sensitive now to a lot of issues, which I think is a good thing, you know, and when you're talking about being abusive to women, infidelity, abusive, you know, both emotionally and physically, you know, criminal lifestyle, it's, you know, it gets a little bit glorified sometimes. And so I think seeing all that puts a little bit damper on, on it for me, but that was real. I say it's real. I'm not saying it was a bad film because I'm just saying his legacy for me kind of dims a little bit. Yeah, I definitely see the point you're making. This is definitely the age of political correctness. So, yeah, it it's you, when you put those the that imagery out there, it definitely tarnishes a little bit. I, I think that the the drug dealing aspect, I don't think that necessarily show. I don't think that actually harms it as much because it was known that that's what he did. Right. I mean, he talks about it. You know. He always talked about it, you know, similar to, you know, Jay-Z, you know, it, it, it talked about where they came from. 
But yeah, I do think that the we're talking about you know how you deal with women, putting hands on women and being verbally and physically abusive to women. That yes, absolutely, absolutely. Like that, you don't want to have you know those skeletons out in the front because it definitely does tarnish your your legacy. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Which yeah. makes me kind of question, like, Valletta Wallace, his mother, who signed off on this. She was a part of the production team, producer. So I'm like, she. I wonder if she said, and I'm not going to try to pretend to get inside her head, but she said, listen, I want it exactly how it was, exactly how it was. She didn't want to sugarcoat it, I guess. I mean, that's what I'm assuming. Yeah. 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 She seemed like the type of person that just wants to keep it real. She she knew her son was flawed, and those that knew him knew that he was flawed. And then a lot of times you see when you know in books or on television or film when stories come out and they glorify the the subject, the, per, the person as, as the subject of the of the story, the depiction, and then you hear that's not right, that's not how it was. It just like it comes out anyway. You know, and and it causes more controversy than than actually, you know, helping the 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 film that you're trying or the book or you know whatever you're trying to put out there. It hurt. It hurts the 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 media for that anyway. So I think she probably was just like, you know what, you know, we all knew that he wasn't perfect, but he is who he was, and let's just do it the right way and just call it what it was. And I can respect her for that. <laughs> I think. You know, it's not an accident that it was in the film. And so this is like a teachable moment. Right. Don't be like this. You know, it got him into a lot of trouble. He could have been made better choices. And so maybe, you know, the people that are fans of Biggie, fans of his music, as a person, he was flawed. Here's Here it is. Make better choices based on this information. I think that might be what this was all about it's true yes yeah history it happened according to yeah film you don't know history you're doing to repeat it yep yeah he would have been you know canceled today you know based on the physical abuse you know cancel culture <laughs> other thing i kind of question is when he recorded the song juicy <laughs> in the movie uh puffy had brought in that juicy fruit track which is what they sampled i guess i forget mm-hmm. the artist but um to me yeah. yeah there we go <laughs> and he's like man i <laughs> i need pepsi weed and women <laughs> to get in the right frame of mind <laughs> um but and he didn't have a women in that studio um but it was kind of like he just turned a switch like he was kind of coming up he's they gave him a short amount of time and he he had some like lyrics that didn't really work and they were kind of whack and all of a sudden like a light switch comes on and he just spits this whole juicy. And I'm like, obviously that was kind of <laughs> embellished on it. It reminded me, I don't know if you guys have seen the Bohemian Rhapsody movie about Freddie Mercury's life. I haven't <laughs> seen was, it yet, no. Okay. Well, there's a, there's a scene in that where there's a, there's a feud with the band members, Freddie and the band members, and they're like mm-hmm. fighting. All of a sudden somebody starts strumming on the guitar, like doom, doom, doom. It comes up with like another one bites the dust, just like that. And they start jamming to it. I'm like, what? out of the thin air like this song <laughs> appears and that's kind of the, the way I, I thought juicy appeared like that he's like it was all a dream i used to be and I mean, he's just, i'm like 
he had that all planned out. Like it was kind of unrealistic, you know. So that was like a, another small little gripe I have. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if he if he came up with it that quick. But I mean, Big was known for 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 writing songs. I mean, we're not even writing songs. Going in the studio and recording a song without writing it down. Um, Jay as well is known for doing that as well. So especially Jay Z, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if he did it that quickly, but they say that's what he was able to do. <laughs> he may have. He may have. He was a he was a lyrical genius. Yeah. <laughs> but I yeah, did. I get it though. It was just like, wait a minute, you couldn't focus and all it was was, you know, some 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 weed, you know, women yeah. Pepsi in a couple seconds and you... <laughs> Oh, all of a sudden, yeah. That's all it takes. That's all, that's all it takes. Then it's the classic. Oh, oh. Yeah. it's just that easy. Shoot, everybody be a big right if that was that, if it was that easy. <laughs> yeah, I got to. Does, does throw, I, zero I, work too? She's zero. <laughs> Cut that zero. Get with this hero, <laughs> man. I went down this whole rabbit hole because I wanted to to learn more about the whole feud and, and who could have possibly done it. Obviously, I'm sure a lot of us have done that over the years. And there was notorious, not to say the word, but you know, a notorious figure, this uh, Johnny Henchman that I came across, who was like a producer. And he was implicated as well. He's He has a life imprisonment for being implicated in other murders. But... I, and I think Tupac actually had uh, mentioned him in some sort of interview or maybe even a, a lyric or two where he wanted to get back at him. Some people say that he was the one that was out to uh, try to assassinate Tupac. I mean, there's a, yeah, there's a bunch of documentaries that are floating around. I've seen a couple of them. Yeah, <laughs> they're interesting. <laughs> And I saw there was another romantic partner that I read about. You may have known her, Boogie, Charlie Baltimore. Oh, yeah, Charlie Baltimore, yeah. Yeah, she was yeah, on some reality. She's not portrayed in this film at all. She's not yeah, portrayed she at all. Apparently, yeah, she was with uh, Murder, Inc. Yeah, from what I read online, she was romantically linked with him like in the summer of 95 up until he died. Yeah. And there was no mention of her, so I don't know. I don't know the true story. I believe they were together. If the internet says so, then it must be. But I think <laughs> it sounds like they didn't. They 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 took her out just to simplify the story. Which yeah, possibly too bad. Um, you know. Yeah, she was definitely. It's definitely confirmed that they were an item at some point. Yeah, but yeah, I think we had to simplify the film, and she, you know, she might not have signed off on it or wanted to put a cease and desist from. Yeah, that's a good point. I should check into that. See. Yeah, I was wondering whatever what happened to Jan, the original his original girlfriend who had his first child. I was trying to to do some research and I couldn't find anything. I didn't spend a lot of time on it, but I felt bad for her. You know, she she was just cut out of the picture, you know. She wasn't famous. She's just, you know, your regular regular girl. Yeah. Trying to raise a daughter. And um she didn't know Biggie would blow up like this and Things get crazy and crazy. Yeah, life comes at you fast. For yeah. sure. <laughs> she didn't sign up for that. <laughs> he was just, you know, having a teenage love. Yep. Yeah, that 
that never lasts or <laughs> rarely lasts. <laughs> Famous rapper or not. <laughs> right. I think I mentioned, yeah, I did mention this when we were um, reviewing Brown Sugar. Mark John Jeffries played a young Dre, Dre in Brown Sugar, played Little C's in this movie as well, Notorious. Yeah, so, okay, okay. Yeah. I didn't make that connection. Yeah, I, 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 I remember mentioning it when we were talking about Brown Sugar, and I just was look, I just saw the, the note, and I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot to mention that. <laughs> All I can think of is throw the keys at those C's. <laughs> <laughs> I need a little C's to throw my keys to. For real. <laughs> and um, the rapper who played Primo, who was um, famous for battling Biggie, for control of that Brooklyn neighborhood on Fulton, he was portrayed by Red Cafe, who's a, a pretty nice lyricist in, in his own right. So shout out to Red Cafe. You don't really hear too much about him other than some underground stuff, but it was good to see him out there in, in, in the film as well. Yeah, I was wondering, I don't know much about Primo. I saw that. I don't know if the, he had a big career, the actual rapper or not. Now, he was kind of local, but I, I did actually, I saw an interview with Primo probably about maybe about a month, a month and a half ago. And somebody was asking him about his battles with, with big. And they mentioned this particular battle that's portrayed in the film. And according to Primo in that, that particular interview that I saw, that was not the only time that he and big battled. He said he and big battled a few times. He said they were battling clubs because sometimes promoters would use it as a draw to pull in a crowd and say, hey, you know, we're going to fe feature, you know, a Primo versus Big big Battle. And, and Primo actually said, he said that he, he beat Big a couple times as well. I, I wasn't there, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, he said he said he got Big a couple times and, you know, Big beat him a couple times as well. And I think they were there was one time they were, they were battling for um, features on um, mixtapes. Because I know that that was the big thing back there. If you can get it, if you can get your features on the mixtapes, you were almost guaranteed to to get a, a you know on an album somewhere. So I think it was, I can't remember. I think you might have said it was DJ SNS. I believe it was. Uh, they were battling for features on SNS, and I think um, Clue at the time as well. And whoever would win the battle would get features on those those mixtapes, and they would get you know once you're on the mixtape, it circulates everywhere. You know, you're not, you're no longer local. <laughs> but um, yeah, that, that's, it's a coincidence that I just saw that interview on maybe, like I said, like a week, a few weeks ago. So yeah. And the guy that played Suge Knight, Sean Ringgold, he's been in a lot of things as well. He he was on One Life to Live, uh, Luke, and Luke Cage, the Netflix series of Luke Cage. You see him in a lot, a lot of commercials and stuff like that as well. So he's a prominent figure in the acting world. One thing I was a little confused about was uh, I thought they made it, they implied that Biggie's mom was a Jehovah's Witness. Did you get catch that? I didn't catch that. I know she was Jamaican. I think they talked about a watchtower and I was like, okay. So it's like I found that away. And then I, I was like following up on it and Biggie was raised Catholic, went to Catholic school. It's like, what was that in the film about? Like, so, I don't know. I can cut that out of the episode, but I'm just kind of like, what's that about? Yeah. 
if he was if he was Jehovah's Witness, yeah, go him going to a Catholic school. That yeah, that wouldn't that make sense. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It was kind of weird. <laughs> Did you notice a juice poster in the uh, beginning of the? Film? Yes, <laughs> I was like, oh, I have that in my notes. Foreshadowing. <laughs> I had that in my notes. Yeah, the juice poster. <laughs> and, and he actually, I remember when he, he said that he met Tupac. He said he'd seen juice. You know. He said, I've seen Pac about 20 times in Juice, and now I'm walking into the party with him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they, they, yeah, they referenced Juice a couple times. Like, all right, all right. <laughs> and by the way, listeners, we've reviewed Juice. Check out that episode. Absolutely. Feed. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Know the ledge. <laughs> <laughs> So the music in this, uh, obviously, there's a lot of Biggie on here. The soundtrack is is great. Two of my favorite songs of all time. Who got the props? Oh, terrific, Ronnie yes. Wall sample, "Tidal Wave," and then uh, "Flavor in Your Ear," which you know I'm thinking, where does Craig Mack get his biopic? <laughs> I want a Craig Mack biopic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that cracked me up when Puffy had that Big Mac. It was like a fake Big Mac <laughs> container because Biggie and Mac. I thought that was so clever. And like he yeah. was that real? I want to. Yes, that was things, real. Was that real? That was real. That was real. I remember it. There's there's pictures of the two sounds of them. Like a crazy idea. Like no. that sounds like a dumb yeah. idea. Yeah, the, you, could, you could definitely look it up. And <laughs> you find a link. You could put it in the show notes. I've I'm seen find it. I'm put this I remember the pictures. Right. Yeah, I thought, like, are you serious? Like, this this that sounds like real. a terrible idea. That was a hundred percent real. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, and they did show Craig Mack in the movie. They that did. Was some, that was they him did. a little season on the elevator going down. Yep. Yep. When Pac was being jacked. Yeah. I was like, yep. <laughs> the brief, the brief, you know, Craig Craig Mack cameo. And I think the the definitive dan- Puffy dancing your video was the make a move with Puff video with, with Craig Mack. I put that in the show notes because it's like it's like front center. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if the song made it into the uh, soundtrack from what I can see online, but uh, they also played Slick Rick's children's story when he was out on the street. The hustle, I love that. Yeah. It was in the movie. It's yeah. yeah. like a top 10 track all time for me. I love Slick Rick oh, yeah. and children's story. I was just listening to another podcast and there was talking about Sam, you know, the uh, Montel Jordan, you know, this is how we do it. And then the younger generation, how they love that beat so much. And like, yeah, someone don't even really know when it's Slick Rick. And then, you know, you go down the rabbit hole and it's Slick Rick starting out with Dougie Fresh and the show and all that stuff. We talked about that in Brown Sugar. That's how they fell in love with hip hop. So absolutely. It all comes full circle. Yes. So we sometimes ask it, can it be made today? Obviously, this is a you know bio- biopic. I guess it could be done another time, but yeah. I don't know how much better you can do it. I, I was surprised. I didn't realize this back to the music, but uh, Danny Elfman did the music. I thought, wow, yeah. they didn't skimp on uh, having a musical expert to uh, put the music in. That was cool. Yeah, the budget was twenty million, which is pretty big for like a autobiographical film. It made forty over forty four in the box office of Bad Boy Films. So I guess Puffy's film 
company along with a few other production companies. Valetta Wallace Films. She had her own yeah. film company as well. He's like a cottage industry now. <laughs> Licensing and all that kind of stuff. That's true. Maybe uh, I wonder if she's uh, running that now. So in, in the beginning, we said we're answer the question, was Biggie ready to die or ready to live? And I know it sounds a little bit kind of morbid, but that was the f- that was the first studio album from Notorious B.I.G., right? It was called Ready to Die. Ready to Die, yep. Yeah. And the image of a, of a little toddler on the cover. So when you look at it in retrospect, like, wow, that's crazy. The very first album he put out was Ready to Die. He also had the song Suicidal Thoughts, um, yeah. which was very popular. Which ends the album. And then they re- the, the second album, which was actually called Life After Death, which was released posthumously, right? March mm-hmm. of 97. Yeah. He was killed in 96, I think. No, he was killed in 97. Oh, he was killed in 97. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, the album was like two weeks after, something like that, was it? Wow. Yeah. yeah. 16 yeah. days after his death. That's wow. wild. Yeah, they, yeah they, they got it right out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the double album. Yeah. That was a pretty good album, too. Man, that was a good album. Man, I haven't listened to it in a long time. I should probably put that on. And... Yeah. Now that I've seen the movie, listen to that album again. Yeah, that sky's the limit song. Oh man, when they played it in the movie, I was just like, man, that that sky's the limit is so like you could tell his his mind frame was in a different place a little bit just because of what he was saying and that the lyrics. That's probably you know one of my favorite tracks from him just because of the subject matter, trying to be a little encouraging. He's encouraging. Yeah, I was reading when they were they started casting calls and. At, towards the end of 2007 for the role of Biggie in the movie. And a lot of rappers and actors auditioned. And Beanie Siegel actually auditioned, but he didn't. He wasn't selected. And Sean Kingston claimed that he would play it. He's kind of the same type of stature. But, shorter, it, but yeah, yeah he, he went, it obviously went to Jamal Willard, and I think that was a home run. Yeah. Yeah, Jamal Willard was yeah, definitely. I can't I couldn't see Beanie Siegel playing him. And yeah. Beans is my man, but I couldn't I can't see it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it doesn't quite work. Even though he's from Philly, so I I roll with Beanie Siegel, but not quite the one for the role. <laughs> the movie got mixed reviews overall. If you look at like Rotten Tomatoes, it's kind of average. Here and there. What was the Rotten Tomatoes score? Well, what do you do? You normally go by like the audience score from Rotten Tomatoes or the actual like Rotten Tomatoes quote unquote score. Tomato meter says fifty two percent, but the audience is sixty five percent. I feel like that's how it usually goes, right? The, the yeah. audience likes it better than the, the critics, right? Fifty two percent. Yeah, I mean, I enjoyed it. Yeah. It's kind of fun to go back in time, and the the soundtrack is is great. It's like that's my sweet spot, and then you know the nineties hip hop, but yeah. definitely entertaining. Not without its flaws, just like Biggie. You know, it's like yeah. 
It's raw. Like you said, the beginning boogie is raw. It's out there. It's a history lesson. And yeah, it is. Yeah. If you love hip hop, I think you'll enjoy it. Yep. Definitely um be prepared for uncensored lyrics as well. You know, so if you listen to Big, you know, with his subject matter and his lyrics, be prepared because it's not edited for the movie either. Nope, that keeps it real. <laughs> Definitely rated R with the lyrics, and uh, there's even nudity, violence. It's got the whole range of adult themes. So, just a warning. Yeah. We try to keep our show as clean as we can, you know, not really cursing or anything, but the subject matter of our films we review. We cannot say we'll uphold those standards. I <laughs> just <laughs> right, so want to give it our regular ratings here. Boogie, bring that funky flick back. Bring that, bring funky, that funky flick, flick back, back. Or keep it in the vault. Yeah, bring that funky flick back. I think it's a it's a significant film. Definitely bring it back. Donna right? Bring that funky flick back or leave it in the vault. I will bring this funky flick back. As for myself, like I said, I poked several holes in it. I was kind of teetering a little bit, but I will say bring that funky flick back. It was an enjoyable watch. I won't watch it all that frequently. I know the story now, but they did it. They did a solid job. Yeah. David Costabile is in this. He's in everything. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, who was he in this film so he plays the school teacher in the beginning okay yes he's in everything he was in uh flight of the concords and um he's in billions of, i haven't seen billions but he was also in like a thousand other things he's he's everywhere but it's just kind of funny oh and he was also one of the lawyers in suits he was uh, the founder of the firm that they worked at or the co-founder so he plays a really good heel in that, <laughs> in that series yes <laughs> Right, Mr. He played Mr. Weber. Mr. Weber, the teacher that Big would make four thousand dollars more per year <laughs> annually than if he became a garbage collector. <laughs> that was really clever. That was clever. That like was. That was. was. He had asked his mom. Track. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He, he got the accurate figures from mom before he even brought it up there. Yep. Hip Hop Movie Club is produced by your HHMCs, JB, Boogie, and Dino Wright. Theme music by Boogie. Check us out on TikTok and Instagram at Hip Hop Movie Club. On the next episode of the Hip Hop Movie Club podcast, your HHMCs will review Roxanne Roxanne. It drops in two weeks. Subscribe today in your favorite podcast app and you won't miss it. Shout out to your listeners. Thanks for tuning in. And remember, don't hate, cooperate. Cooperate. Yes. <laughs> Cooperation is cool. Awesome. That's right. Shout out to Brain Freeze Trivia in the Lehigh Valley. Check out the Instagram, brain underscore freeze underscore trivia double underscore time. That's Brain Freeze Trivia time. 
on Instagram.